Christmas, of course, is a time that has a way of uh, stirring up, conjuring up memories from years gone by. Uh, I, I certainly recall uh, in years gone by no few uh, trips back to Virginia to visit family, and, and with that, taking our, our young ones when they were young and small uh, in tow, uh, hustling them off to, to places, at least to them, that were new and unknown. And they're, they're in to, to places and, and people that were new and, and unknown. And, and so with that, sometimes, I won't name names, but sometimes in our little brood, there would be responses in going to these strange new places with these strange new people, to them, to them. Uh, responses of a bit of trepidation, a, a bit of, of, of nervousness, some anxiety, uh, maybe even some unwillingness to, to go along with the plan because they just... I don't want to, this new, I'm scared, this is weird, all that sort of thing. And in, invariably, uh, that would shift eventually, maybe through a few tears, uh, to some level uh, of calm and assurance. And what brought that about was just the promise, the reminder that mom and dad weren't abandoning them, we weren't dropping them off and leaving them, we were going to be with them with them in this strange new place with these strange unknown people. Well, we're at a part, a moment here, I should say, a moment here on, on this weekend, New Year's Eve, tomorrow New Year's Day, where you're sort of sitting you know, at a tipping point, a, a moment in time between something old and, and something new. And as you're thinking back on the something old, and that scares you, and then that makes you wonder about what's coming around the corner that you can't even see, uh, perhaps we may find ourselves here this morning filled with some level of anxiety and nervousness and maybe even fear. What do we need? We need a promise. A promise from one whose word is true uh, and has proven himself again and again and again. Uh, we need something that will take the realities that we've been celebrating here in December that will carry over into January. We need Emmanuel. The very thing that we've been reading about, the very thing that we've been singing about, the, the very reality that this whole season ostensibly has been for and about to move with us as we move into this new year. So with that, let me invite you to go with me to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 1. Matthew chapter 1, that's the first book of the New Testament, the first of our four Gospels that we have. Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25, a familiar text, no doubt, uh, to some of you here. Uh, it, it's one that we go back to this, this time of year, especially during Advent. Uh, Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Hear now the Word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, it is just as well that we be honest with ourselves and certainly with you at this moment where we are thinking about the future, whether that's this afternoon, this week, this month, this year, and filled with some level of anxiety and worry and concern. Uh, we certainly have to, it would do us well, it would do us well to acknowledge that however much we might think we can predict and anticipate what is coming, however much we might want to, to plan and sketch things out, we just can't know. We just cannot know. There's not a prophet among us, not in, in a predictive sort of sense. We know that you know. We know that uh, there's a promise here given, found in Matthew 1, of one who is with us. It's something that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, whether explicitly or implicitly in the series that we've been in. And no doubt, no few of us have been reading about it on our own. And, and even if we haven't, we've heard of this strange word, Emmanuel. We ask that you would give us understanding, perhaps more so than ever before, of its significance and what it would mean to live in that, not just in for a month, but for a year. Not just for a season, but for a life. Because that's what you intend. We ask that you would help us. Give us eyes, ears. Now we pray. Amen. I want to read to you a blog post I came across really just this past week. It's the second one in your quotes and notes. Uh, it's from the Desiring God website. Very well done. It's actually just the opening salvo of that larger post. I encourage you to read the, the whole of it uh, when you get home. Just read, read you the intro, how the author sets this up. I think it's, it's well worth uh, hearing. Why does Christmas joy turn so quickly into New Year anxiety? Often it's because what felt like joy at Christmas was not anchored very deeply in Christ after all. He was invited and welcome on our terms as we were trying to wrap our fears in paper hide our trials under the tree, and drown our sorrows in eggnog. We thought it was all about baby Jesus, but we were, mere, we were merely covering our burdens for a couple of weeks with lights and garlands and activity. We were too afraid to really trust Him and cast our anxieties on Him. Then, January 1 comes, knocking again, responsibilities to resume, decisions to be made, resolutions to be made and kept, procrastination to be forsaken. Anxiety suddenly casts a dark shadow on our joy and our hearts struggle to withstand it. The reason many of us feel so insecure and anxious at the end of another year is that we've taken the gifts meant to lead us to God and look to them for the strength, hope, clarity, and purpose only God can give. He's right. 
He's dead on right. These are wise words, well worth a careful considering, and not just that, not just careful considering, taking to heart. Now let me remind you what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, this, this series that we have been in, this Advent series, these Old Testament uh, figures and um, expressions and pictures and, and images that, that point us in the direction of, of Jesus. We began with Jesus as the descendant of Eve, this long-awaited, long-promised, really at the outset, the first opportunity God had to show grace. He does so with the promise of this Redeemer, this Deliverer, this Savior, this Mighty One to come. He comes not just as a descendant of Eve, but as a prophet like Moses, revealing the very purposes and will of God for his people. He comes not only as, as that, but as a, a king like David, a matchless, mighty ruler, wielding a sword, standing in between all that would do ultimate harm and undoing to his, his people. He comes also, though, not just as a descend, this descendant and this uh, prophet and this king, but as a priest, a priest like Melchizedek, ushering, making it possible, ushering his people into the very presence of the true and living God. Now that's just four. Four images, four figures, four pictures. It takes all of that to just begin to capture something of the magnitude and magnificence of Jesus. And the Old Testament is replete, filled with such images and you know, even that just begins to get us moving in the right direction to understand who this one is that, that comes at Christmas, if you will, and what it is that he has done for us. Well, there's another one in this long list of things that we could look at here this morning. There's just one that I want to look at, and that's Emmanuel. Talked about it, alluded to it already. Emmanuel, meaning in the Hebrew, God with us. God with us. That's good news. Maybe we've said it so many times. Maybe we've heard it so many times. It just goes right on past us. We don't even think about the wonder of such a statement, of such a declaration. By the way, that's not a wish. It's not a, oh, I hope, Emmanuel. No, I mean, it's a declaration made in the Scriptures. Emmanuel, God is with us. That's tremendously, triumphantly, good news that we need to hear at any time, but in particular, I'll just say specifically, as we're thinking about or maybe sweating over moving into a new year. Emmanuel, God with us. I can put it this way. Christmas has come. Emmanuel is real. This is the news we need as we move into a new year. Christmas is real. Christmas has come. Emmanuel is real. This is the very news we need as we move into a new year. Especially as we turn that and think about that from three different angles, three different perspectives. First, and this is in your outline, the background of Emmanuel. Where does it come from? What's its meaning and significance historically, its context and all of that? So the background of Emmanuel, the uniqueness of Emmanuel, and then finally, the wonder of Emmanuel as well. All of those, if you just take any one of them, but all three together certainly do point us in the direction of seeing, oh my goodness, this, 
This will carry us and sustain us as we move ahead into this new year. The first thing, the background. Where does this come from, this promise, this statement, this declaration? Well, as Dave was reading just a little while ago, it's Isaiah 7. You know, historically, contextually, that's where you see it coming from. That's 700 years before Jesus physically arrives on the scene, okay? Isaiah 7. I'm just going to remind you again, he said it very well, just to remind you again of the historical context of what's going on here. The nation of Israel has split into two nations now. You have the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. I know it's confusing because, like, wait, I thought you were already Israel. But it's a split, okay? So you've got Judah to the south, Israel in the north. These two, now, two northern kingdoms, Israel and Syria, are trying to pressure Judah, King Ahaz of the time, Judah into entering an alliance with them, a coalition with them, to withstand the rise of this major power coming on the scene, Assyria. Ahaz is reluctant to enter into this coalition. Those kings of those two nations are furious with him, frustrated with him over this, and decide, if you will, to discipline him, to get him in line. Now Ahaz is not just reluctant, he's panicking. God sends Isaiah, his prophet, to the king to assure him, to encourage him, to press him, actually to ask for a sign. A sign that will show forth to him and to the people that indeed he is with them, despite how things look, he is with them, he's standing with them, his protection is abiding and real. Again, Ahaz waffles. Ahaz is reluctant to take the prophet up on this offer to, to ask for a sign. It's not, by the way, what was read from Isaiah 7, Ahaz is not being humble, saying, who am I to blue, blue, blue. I mean, God tells you, that's who you are. Shut up and ask. That's not humility, that's arrogance. To refuse to do what the living God tells you to do. Okay? God nonetheless gives the sign. You notice that? Ahaz, ask for a son. I won't. I'm going to give it to you anyway. <laughs> and the sign is the arrival of this child. Now, there seems to be, most commentators are in agreement on this score, there seems to have been a, a, a preliminary answer to that sign, that prophecy, in Ahaz's day. A child born. But... The fulfillment, fulfillment of that promise, of that sign, does not come in Ahaz's day. It comes 700 years later, is what Matthew's talking about, Matthew 1, in the coming of Jesus. And it's so obvious when you think about, I mean, how this child is described. That child did not arrive till later. For instance, when you see the, a child predicted in Isaiah 7 is the same child spoken of in Isaiah 9. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, whose reign, whose rule will know no end, know no boundaries, all these kinds of things. That's not any child born in Ahaz's day. That comes later. What happens at that time is a shadow, a flicker, an anticipation, a, a trailer, if you will. But that's the sign. That's the background. Matthew, Matthew tells us 
in, in thinking about and pondering under the inspiration of the, the Holy Spirit, he writes these words, Matthew 1, starting in, I'm going to read starting in verse 20 again. But as he, that's Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, that's where the quotation ends. Here's the commentary from Matthew. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is quoting now from Isaiah 7. 700 years before, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is one of, uh, I think I believe there's over 50 such fulfillment statements in Matthew's gospel. There are five already in chapters 1 and 2, speaking of the, 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 the arrival of this Messiah. Messiah, the Christ, the hopes and fears of all the years met in him. Okay, that's the origin, that's the background. What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, his, his name tells us something. Jesus' name means God saves. That's what he does. That's why he's come. His name speaks to that very thing. But who is he? That's where his title comes into play. Emmanuel. Who is he? He is God with us. That's who he is. He is God with us. That's the declaration. That's the promise fulfilled in, in him. And again, in terms of thinking about the, the, this background, I want to take you back those 700 years to Isaiah's day. I alluded to this already. Ahaz and his, at best, hesitation, frankly, reluctance and unwillingness to ask for the sign, and God gives it anyway? What does that tell us about this God? that despite our deserving and lack thereof, he is determined. He is determined to love us so much better than we deserve. To lavish on us assurances of his accompanying presence to enable us to carry out our calling and assure us that he is with us all the while, every step, no matter how hard or how steep the incline may be, despite our deserving, his determination to show mercy and grace time and time again. That's the background here. Now you ask, okay, but what does this have to do with the new year? This is all very interesting, I hope. But what does this have to do with the new year? Well, think with me. Let's move now from the beginning of Matthew's gospel here in Matthew 1 to the very end. The last chapter, Matthew chapter 28. Let's go from the birth narrative to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Last chapter, Matthew's gospel. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you hear that? That's the Emmanuel promise. Right there. Birth narrative, great commission. What is Jesus telling? He's saying that we have no greater task in terms of its importance, in terms of its significance, but also in terms of its difficulty going out with this message into a world that in many ways is allergic to it and certainly hostile to it. We have a calling, that is a task that is no greater, but at the same time, no greater hope, no greater assurance that as we go, Emmanuel, all authority given to him, he is the king, the matchless mighty one, all authority given to him, and who goes with us? Him, the one who commissions us, the one who calls us, the one who invites us, includes us, compels us, commissions us to go forward with this message. We have been included in something. We have been ushered into something that is so much greater than ourselves. I alluded to this up here with the Abrahams a little while ago. don't have a problem with resolutions and goals for the coming year, but I will say this. I noticed something. It was a very wise observation that some genius made on a, I don't know, it was a... Uh, Instagram something I saw a few days ago. One of the problems with so many of our resolutions are is they're all about us. Right? Now, I'm not picking on your resolutions. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm not saying your goal is whacked. I don't, please, that's not really, maybe it is, but I don't, I'm, I'm not, not, not necessarily. But oftentimes, our, our ideas, our vision for ourselves is so small. And Jesus is saying, I am bringing you into something that's so much bigger than you. And way beyond you. And with that, I am with you. Christmas has come. Emmanuel is real. That's the news we need. To get our vision off of our navels and out on the horizon... Who is with us? Who is with us? That's what we need for this new year. Okay, that's the background. Uniqueness. Uniqueness to the Emmanuel promise. There's a lot to consider there as well. So back to chapter 1, verse 23. I'm going to read it again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You need to understand how uh, otherworldly the assumptions, the presuppositions, everything, the background to this statement is, was, is, and was to the religions of that time. Okay? So for the, 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 we're talking about God in the flesh. Okay? Emmanuel, God with us. This is just utterly radical. Scandals for the Jews. He even began to envision and consider. It was, you know, one of their ten commandments, right? The second of the ten. You shall not... Create an image, a physical thing representing me. That was abhorrent. It was heretical. It was, it was just, you didn't go there. So they didn't have them. No idols, no images or such. 
That was scandalous to the Romans. The Romans couldn't figure out what was wrong with you silly Jews. You obviously have no gods. You are atheists. You have no gods. Sometimes that's the way they were, the Jews were regarded by the Romans, as atheists, because they had no gods. The Christians were even worse in the Romans' eyes. Regarded as incestuous because of their love feasts and a misunderstanding of what that was. Regarded as cannibals because it was said that they ate the flesh and drank the blood of their founder. Regarded as treasonous because they said he was king and not Caesar. Now, of course, none of those things were really true. But you see how the, from the beginning the Christian faith, the early church, is standing out. Standing out in the midst of, of a much larger world and especially in its approach to God. The gospel message and its approach to God. Light, Christmas we speak of light, light coming. But you see, Emmanuel is not about light coming, hope coming from the world. See, every other faith, every other system of thought, the significance and meaning that we're to find is through the sacrifice and efforts that we make. It's a self-salvation project. That's the way every other philosophy, every other worldview works. Except Christianity, where it's not light and hope coming from the world, but upon the world. It's not from within, it's from without. We can't gen this up. It has to come from the outside. Or if you, some, I'm sure many of you heard this phrase. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. It's not a telling of what, must, of what we have to do. It's a telling of what's been done. It's utterly unique. It always has been and forever will be. It stands out in all the world philosophies, views, and religions in the approach to God. Radically different. Now, you're asking at this point, at least I hope you are, what does that have to do with the new year? How does that have any impact as I'm thinking about what's in, in front of me? Well, think with me. Again, the message of the gospel, the message of Emmanuel is we can't, we are unable, completely unable to save ourselves. God alone can do that. That message taken to heart will humble you. It cuts at our pride. Now, why is that important? Because pride is at the root of so many of our problems. What does this have to do with New Year's? What does this have to do with resolutions and goals? Let me ask you something. Do you just want to see cosmetic change in the coming year? Did you, do you just want to kind of glaze over some stuff in your life? Just kind of hit at the surface, a little bit of buffing here and there? Or do you want to go deep? Do you want to see reformation in your own heart? You need a manual. You need the reminder, God with us. Not a self-salvation project, a God-saving project. Hope alone found in Him. That's how that connects to thinking about the coming year. It connects directly, it connects powerfully to the degree that we will hear it. Christmas has come, 
Emmanuel is real. That's the news we need for the coming year. If you want to see change. Thirdly, the wonder of Emmanuel. So we've looked at the background of Emmanuel, the uniqueness of Emmanuel, and finally the wonder of Emmanuel. I'm going to read verse 23 again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now understand that this is not a message, simply something historical to reflect on in the past, like God was with us. Okay? Nor is it just something to wait for and anticipate in the future. God will be with us. The statement is, present tense, abiding reality, God is with us. It's present. It's something to be embraced and seized on and lived out of this very moment. Emmanuel, God is with us in at least two ways. In at least two ways. Uh, first, the in, his indwelling, well, his dwelling with his people, which doesn't stop with just something on the outside, but an actual indwelling. Emmanuel becomes indwelling, not just dwelling with, but dwelling in. And we see the echoes of that, hints of that, even in the Old Testament, with the the, the, the temple there in the capital city of Jerusalem, and, and even before that, perhaps even more so, when you, at least in my mind, the tabernacle that sat there in the center of the camp, as they moved, it moved. Or perhaps better said, as it moved, they moved. And there in the midst of the tabernacle is the Ark of the Covenant. The very presence of God in the midst of His people, again, in the center of the camp, there is the living God dwelling amidst His people which was a promise again and again and again through the Old Testament. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. It was, it was a mantra, a refrain, again, throughout the Old Testament. In John's Gospel, in the prologue, you get a hint of this, a reminder of this. If you turn with me to John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 1, this is in the, again in the prologue, it's in verse 14. It, it's, you can kind of see it in the English, it's better in the original Greek, which I'll explain in just a second. John 1 verse 14, this is what John says, and the word became flesh, now that's a reference, I'm not going to get too far into this, but that reference, logos, is a reference to Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Okay, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. Now, literally, that word dwelt means tabernacle. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. The dwelling with, the dwelling with. Jesus comes as the dwelling with his people. But it doesn't stop there. As magnificent and wondrous as that is, it doesn't stop there. Paul tells us, and if you keep going a few books to the right, so past the Gospels, past Acts and Romans, you get to 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, okay? Not 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes these words, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, in the midst of a much larger argument, but this is what he says, or do you not know that your body 
is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Now, that's not the only time he says something like that. If you go a few chapters to the left, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says something very similar. Do you not, chapter 3, verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Now, what's interesting is the first reference, the you there, is singular in chapter 6. The second reference in chapter 3 is plural. And Paul's, what he's saying there is that individually and collectively, we are, each of us and all of us, the living temple of God, indwelled by His Spirit. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us, within us, is a wondrous thing to consider. The Spirit of the living God indwelling His people. And that is not a future thing. That's a now thing. That's a present thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, His Spirit lives in you this morning. As you sit there in your seats, the living Spirit of the living God indwells you to empower you, to transform you, to encourage you, to convict you, and so much more. The very Spirit of the living God indwelling His people. Now we could stop there, but I want to go on to one other point, and that is how God, the wonder of Emmanuel, is not just the indwelling of His people, but the entering into the drama. We're talking about God entering the story. Heaven coming down. So many, and this is something kind of akin to what I was saying in the, in the second point of the uniqueness of the Christian faith. So, so, something like that, but a little different. So, the, the other faiths, worldviews, perspectives can be divided pretty much into two camps regarding if there's any idea of, of a God and what God is like, where he is utterly transcendent or utterly imminent. And what I mean by that, he is completely removed and outside from his creation and has nothing to do with it, or he is utterly enmeshed, ingrained, a part of it, even identified with it. Basically, it's those two camps, all the other faiths of the world, historically, except one, Christianity, that weds the transcendence of God and the eminence of God. He is separate from and yet enters into his creation at the same time. In Jesus. It sounds otherworldly. Perhaps it came from outside this world. I don't know. Well, actually, I do. This is something that's it's, it's so hard to get our minds around. I want to try and hook your imagination, if I can. This is something that's it's an anecdote that I came across this past week, and it's, it's one author reflecting on, on another author. I'm just going to read this to you. Dorothy Sayers wrote a series of detective novels focused on her fictional character, Lord Peter Whimsey. Sarah's creation, Whimsey, was an aristocrat detective from the 1930s who solved all kinds of crimes. She wrote a whole series of stories and novels about Lord Peter. Then about halfway through this Whimsey detective series, a woman suddenly shows up in the novels. Sayers' new character is named Harriet Vane, a female mystery writer and one of the very first women to get through Oxford. Harriet and Peter fall in love. 
Until that point in the series, Whimsy was an unhappy, broken bachelor until Harriet Vane shows up and her love starts to heal his broken soul. Now, this is interesting. Dorothy Sayers, like her fictional creation, was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. Like Harriet Vane, Dorothy Sayers was a writer of mystery novels. Dorothy Sayers looked at her character, Lord Peter Wimsley, saw that he needed someone to help him out. So who did she put in there? A detective novelist, a woman, and one of the first women to go through Oxford. Who was that? She put herself into her own stories. She looked into the world she had created, and she fell in love with the chief character, Peter Wimsey. And she wrote herself into that story so she could heal him. That's Emmanuel. God writing himself into the story. Now, what does that have to do with the new year? Think with me. Now, this is a heavy thought, so stay with me. God carries out his perfect eternal plan in time. He carries out his perfect eternal plan in time by becoming an actor in the historical drama of which he is the author. I'm going to say that again. It's a mouthful. God carries out his perfect eternal plan in time. In time. By becoming an actor in the historical drama of which he himself is the author. Now, he enters the story. He did that in a unique way, an unrepeatable way, a mind-blowing, boggling way in the Incarnation. But do you understand he's doing that all the time? He's always the author and the actor. He's always transcendent and imminent. He is always entering the story. He is always, and this I don't know how to explain this, but he is always writing the story that has been eternally written. Now you say, what does that have to do with the new year? It has everything to do with the, do with the new year. Do you realize if that is true, which it is, we should have a sense of expectancy. A sense of expectancy about the living God moving into our story. Working through us, in us, and around us. Because he's always moving into the story. As the author and the actor. And as we have that sense of expectancy, we should be engaging with him. Engaging with him in his word. Listening. Responding to him in prayer. And doing that in community together. Because this is real. Christmas has come. Emmanuel is real. This is the news we need for the coming year. It's a great gift. How does it become ours? How does it become ours? Like any other gift, you have to unwrap it and take it home. You have to unwrap it and take it home. Let me paint a picture for you. It's a big family gathering Christmas morning. Kids are home from all reaches of the, uh, regions of the country. Everyone, the, pa the house is packed. Most of the gifts have been given out. There's wrapping paper everywhere, but there's one more round left. The patriarchs, the mom and dad who started it all, 
they have one more thing to give to the heads of every household represented there. And this is what the tags say. It's the same tag on every one of those gifts. Exactly what you want, precisely what you need, and only because I love you. Exactly what you want, precisely what you need, and only because I love you. Well, that gets the attention of some people. But there's basically two responses to this. That's a picture I'm painting, so bear with me. One group hears the, well, reads the tag and immediately tears into the paper. Eyes fill with tears, lips overflow with thanks. They have unwrapped it and taken it home. But the other group reads the tag, puts it down, doesn't open it, murmurs something, grabs their coat, and goes out the door. Why? Because they have not heard what the tag read. They can't believe that it could be that good. They can't grasp that the, his love, their love, could be that true. And so nothing is unwrapped. Nothing is received. There is no... no the, the, the intended effect of the gift is never realized because it's never received. Because you, you have to unwrap it and take it home. So what does that have to do with Emmanuel? We have to unwrap it and take it home. We have to allow the wonder of this message to settle into us. Take the time. Give it the attention and focus that it is due. And ask ourselves a few questions. How might I be different if I believed this was true? What difference would it make? How would it change me? With my all my anxiety and anger, and how I am bored and bitter, sour and, 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 and cynical, jealous and judgmental. What would it do if this was true? What change, what impact would it have upon me? My friends, oh please, don't leave this on the floor. Read the tag. Pick it up. Unwrap it. and Take it home. Emmanuel, God is with us. Let's pray. Lord, we are putting away the decorations. If we haven't already, we will be soon. But may the reality linger. May things, may, even though perhaps the red and green and gold and silver isn't to be found, may things not return to normal as though it didn't happen as though it wasn't real. Because it did happen, it is real. And not just this celebration, but the realities, the historical realities the celebration was meant to be about. We're not alone, we're not on our own. Light has dawned upon this world. Oh, would you help us to see and savor these things and shine them forth. Pray in your name.